0: And it all comes down to this. Two on, two out, bottom of the ninth. The Farmers lead by one. Full count. Here comes the play at the plate, and it's the Agview pit.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of the AgView Pitch and we are entering a new week and you've got Chris Barron and Dwayne Lowry here and how's it going Dwayne?
0: Good Chris, Um, uh, myself and probably a lot of other people are kind of hunkered at home and not uh, too interested in making any unnecessary travels.
1: Yeah that's for sure, it's kind of a crazy world right now, it seems like the only news is Corona news um, what, uh, what's your thoughts on all the craziness that's going on right now?
0: Well, I guess, uh, probably to, to put it uh, bluntly, I'm probably quite stunned at the, the scope of, uh, measures that we're taking to combat this. Uh, I'm stunned that, you know, entire states are shutting down pretty much everything except essential industries. I uh, don't know when that's going to end. Um, I'm stunned that the scope of the amount of dollars the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, and Congress are willing to, you know, create and and push towards the fighting this. Which it's not like we got a vault and we just go back and get some of that money and then bring it about and disseminate it into the economy. This is just uh, fake money we've printed, we've just manufactured out of nothing. This is uh, printing, a, this is turning the printing presses on, and you know the the entire U.S. economy is roughly 22 trillion dollars, and we've got an aid package that the Congress is dealing with here today on Sunday, that you know might be up towards one and a half or two trillion dollars. Started out as a, as a one trillion dollar project, and it's a uh, talk that that's only the first one. So we're talking about putting lots of trillions of dollars into this thing. And so much so that we're dwarfing the size of the bailouts that occurred in 2008. And so I made a comment to you offline, but it's like, uh, what kind of uh, PowerPoint presentation did lawmakers see? What were they told that would cause Republicans, conservatives, libertarians to abandon some conservative core principles and just fully embrace this with hardly any reservations and talk about additional packages coming later. I'm not saying it's wrong. Don't read that into it. I'm just shocked that they're willing to do that. And it makes makes me think that um, the scope of it or the fear of what the scope might be uh, has been something that has really rattled their uh, um, thought process so much to embrace this. And um, when you talk about seeing states shut down for weeks or, you know, we don't know if it's going to be months, uh, we don't know exactly what it's going to be. But if you've got $22 trillion economy and you're shut down for a month, you're, you're just under $2 trillion a month that's largely out. And if the government's going to underwrite that, you know, uh, and they're talking about you know even two or three months, and some of course number uh, months time frames go out longer than that. All of a sudden, you're up to levels that are going to be, you know, three to six times what was spent for the 2008 crisis. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from this is somehow the dollar is going to get significantly weaker by printing all this money, and. If we hope that it's a short term gap in our economy, that whether that's measured as a month, two, three, four months, whatever it is, if they're going to try to backstop all of that with the printing of money, I don't see how the outcome isn't um, a very weak U.S. dollar over the months ahead. And ultimately, that leads to inflation when we get actually come out of this on the other side. Um, I personally think that's a very big storyline that nobody's really talking about. But... Uh, so I, I'm just kind of stunned at the, the scope of this thing. Um, it's uh, it's something that n- none of us have ever experienced anything quite like it.
1: That's just it. You know, it's hard to ask a question and feel like anybody can give anybody an answer because pretty much everybody's in uncharted territory, wouldn't you say here?
0: Well, I think that's correct. Um um, there's probably no other way you can really look at it. Um, I will say this though, um, markets seem to go through the same stages and the same processes, whether it's, you know, um, uh, a normal swing of emotions from, you know, the markets being big bullish to big bears or vice versa. Uh, they go through the same type of, uh, structural changes and, and the same patterns show up but in this particular one you're wondering what the scope of that is and everything we've talked about so far has been all about this coronavirus well last week you had China start to move towards uh, uh, making some purchases which should give some uh, validation to the idea that maybe phase one is still legit you have uh, news reports from inside China People directly, boots on the ground, businessmen, U.S. businessmen saying U.S. is you know, ramping up. I saw the, the CEO of FedEx was quoted as saying that uh, China's largest companies are at 90% of normal operations right now, and he said that the smaller operations are at 70% of normal, and FedEx is continuing to fly a large number of flights in and out of China every single day, so he's in a position to... To kind of know and that sounds encouraging Um, the other thing that I would point out that if you went back to February 25th and you plotted what uh, China's domestic soybean price was and then you plotted that last uh, uh, week uh, it was up like you know 20 percent well that's like a dollar and a half in beans I'm not saying it translated to a dollar and a half but in terms of percentages that's that shows there's recovery i think on the one hand we should feel positive and confident that we get out of this get through this you know things could quickly improve we also have a economy that's structurally much different and better than what say it was in 2007 2008 before things finally cratered at the end of 2008 so the if if the what the government and the fed are doing now to pump trillions of dollars into the system to try to fill the gap for what's being lost, if that proves to be the correct approach and uh, proves to be successful, we can come out of this and very quickly start to ramp things up. So that's kind of encouraging. Um, So we also have a situation last week. It was kind of in the trade Thursday and Friday that the the marketplace was hearing uh, talk or expectations or however you want to call it that some of these South American ports would shut down and not be able to ship. And that would make the US like the only game in town. Uh, Over the weekend, there's been conflicting statements on that, where some government officials there have indicated that they're going to uh, keep the ports open. Um, As we're recording this, I don't really really know what the outcome of that is or what it will be. But there's just a tremendous amount of things that are circulating here. Um, And the other part of it is, and you can't get away from it, all of this is operating under a cloud of fear and emotion that, in all honesty, may not have peaked. It may have peaked in terms of initial fear and emotion, but now that fear and emotion is concerned about how long this thing drags on. And I'm not sure that has peaked yet. And as long as the numbers are going to continue to go up in the U.S., which they will because they're getting more tests, testing out there available Um, you know I'm I'm afraid the attitudes around here are going to stay you know soft concerned and uh, fearful and it's possible that continues uh, all week long and into the uh, reports that we have from USDA on March 31st so um, I'm concerned that price action this week will violate last week's lows may not be by a lot and it may not stay down there for an extended period of time or have prolonged trending lower patterns from there, but it'll be feel like an extremely heavy burden to bear in, in the mind and the mindsets of traders. And so I'm suspicious that happens. In the same token, despite all of the stuff we've talked about, which is basically everything in the here and now, I am fully convinced that once we get out of this, get onto the other side, and we will get to the other side, um, then... I think that uh, the entire economy can can come back quickly and robustly, and I think that the U.S. ag sector can as well, and uh, again, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to watch what that U.S. dollar index does. Right now, it's about 20% higher, maybe more than that, at least 20% higher than it was uh, during the 2008-9-10 period, and at that time... Um, it seems to me that the, the fed, if they're pumping all this to try to create inflation, the odds of getting a a weaker dollar, uh, would seem high and it might even be part of their plan. And so, um, I think if that dollar were to go back to where it was in 2008, which I think could actually go lower, that's a 20% reduction there that can, that can have quite an influence on agricultural prices. It's, it's an unknown, but it's something that I think everybody should keep an eye on and start watching that dollar index and see if that indeed is what is going to happen, that we, we turn that dollar in and start turning it to the downside. So there, there's just a lot of things here to watch. We still have the crude oil situation with Saudi Arabia and Russia. I personally think in terms of market um, sentiment, I think that's actually more concerning to the marketplace than the coronavirus is. But the coronavirus gets all the headlines. So far, we don't have a fix there. And uh, so as long as we got it, some more pain coming from there, that's that. none of this creates a good environment in the short term. But it may uh, offer lots of opportunity for better prices after the short term.
1: So you talked about um, a bunch of different things there. One of the things last week, uh, just to back in here to the corn and soybean market we saw some pretty good strength in the soybean market and we saw that ratio corn to bean ratio improve you know where corn or where soybeans now are 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 getting a little bit better where you know I've heard some analysts talk about you know some farmers may be looking at beans as an opportunity now maybe more so than they did a couple weeks ago um, I played with some numbers um, earlier today with some of our um, key clients and, that really know their cost of production dialed things in really well, and they took about 15 of them and did some math and came up with, you know, still um, we're about 40 cents away just in that data set of just some some top level producers I grabbed looked at the numbers, you know, beans were still 40 cents away from where they would need to be for for any of those 15 anyway to sit down and say, gee, maybe I should think about planting a few more beans. And at that point that was just bringing the playing field to equal. It wasn't saying that, okay, soybeans would be better. Plus a lot of people already have their decisions made, I think on what they're going to plant. Do you have any comments on that, on where we're at, you know, cause you hear, you hear people have these conversations. And, and when I sit down and look at the actual numbers with some real farmers and put some real data together, I, I'm not seeing that yet. What, what are you seeing there in that relationship between corn and soybeans?
0: Well, first of all, um, when that relationship shifts, it depends what the back, uh, what kind of, what kind of a backdrop we have. If those relationships that are, you know, profitable, it means one thing. If they, if those relationships shift, shift and both crops are not producing a profit, um, it creates less incentive, I think, to make that shift. The, uh, Uh, relationship right now between corn and beans yes beans have gained on corn but I think if you look at it from the perspective of going back to 2008 you're still on the bottom side of most of the time frame of the last you know 12 or 13 years so there's not any great incentive to beans but the uh, uh, pressure on the corn the ethanol situation which we haven't even talked about yet the ethanol situation has created a a Fear that this cloud and burden of corn could last for an extended period of time And so it was just a, this last week that the corn basis at ethanol plants started to take a tumble and, and the ethanol plants Basically said we don't want any corn for a while and, and some of them, you know, are, are just not taking any corn for a while um, There is a fear that that could last for an extended period of time that is having some uh, people, causing people to at least have the conversation of do we switch, okay, and then you have, um, um, so there's there's talk of it, I know some people that actually have made a decision in the last two weeks to s- switch to less acres of corn and more acres of beans, but I'm not sure that there's anything really statistically here that is driving that as a, as a confident reason to make the change, it's more of a, a fear that the corn market know won't be able to recover for a while as opposed to the to the fact that the bean market is going to be all that great and they also people also have a fear about what that acreage report will be on the 31st and they're fearing, fearing big numbers so people are talking about it um the stats may or may not back that up but people are talking about it so you know maybe some occurs that way i mean i your numbers you're saying they don't they don't suggest any switch is that the present time is that how you answer that
1: well that's what i'm seeing with our client base and, and part of it too is you know it's a little different when you get in the fringe areas too i mean there are there could be some exceptions to this but just generally speaking i don't see much shifting yet i mean we still we still need probably another 40 50 cents yet in the bean market relative to corn and then to your point of you made a good point where if both of them are still in the red, you know, you're going to plant whichever of the two you're going to lose the most the least amount of money on at, at a certain point unfortunately and and part of it too is is what what's your insurable level, you know, in in some cases where we see in the i states for example, where land cost is a little higher, you know, it's hard to plant the soybeans because you know the gross dollars that you can insure are significantly higher on the corn side of things. And so it lends itself more to the corn, and then it also has a lot to do with with just you know your yield prospects of, of corn versus soybeans. The corn, for a lot of the people we work with, has a tendency to give you a little bit more um, reliability in terms of yield consistency. And so there's some other factors that that go back into that as well. So I guess I'm all I'm saying is I'm just seeing it. Um, a little different than what I've been hearing some of the analysts talk about, and that was kind of why I was looking for your opinion on that, because I just I don't see that anywhere close to to people considering going to beans yet. Uh, if you really sit down and do the math and really analyze analyze it from a financial perspective.
0: I agree with that, um, but it is starting to be talked about, and I think the break from the ethanol related situation has really caused people to step back and say, oh my gosh, what happens to corn if you know, a, a consumer of a third of our uh, inventory suddenly um, wants to uh, purchase you know, a sizable less quantity? Um, so I, I think that's caused that fear level. I will also say this. If that March 31st acreage report happened to be kind of bullish beans and started some sort of a price rise in beans, I think it could very quickly... Become something where people would 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 uh, make adjustments and, and lower corn and raise beans if that report gave market action that uh, encouraged it. I think the, at that point the farmers might be in a in a frame of mind that they're more quickly to embrace it not this year than they maybe would have been in other years under similar situations where maybe the bean market well, started to rally.
1: Well, Dwayne, if, if if growers are considering that you know, adding more bean acres to your mix, you better be putting a floor on that bean market. If we have a rally in the meantime and you all of a sudden shift those acres over because of that and then something else happens two months later that's unforeseen and you made that shift over so many times I see people add acres of one crop or another and then they don't put a floor in or they don't price protect, make that decision based on the here and now and then some other dynamic changes things and and they're on the other side of it the other way. I mean, does that make sense? Well, too? there's
0: there's truth in that, and um, I would not necessarily argue with somebody that's putting in price price floors, but there is no way I'm going to encourage anybody make sales at current prices or even on a small recovery. I would be willing to say, okay, if you want to buy puts, that's fine. If you want to buy puts and sell calls that are out of the money, you want to uh, whatever you do. I think the marketing strategy should still leave you some room to get better prices if they actually were to unfold. And uh, uh, so I think there are two different things. Establishing a price floor is one thing. Uh, creating finality in your opportunities to get any more is something completely different.
1: Right. I, and I'm just saying, you know, a lot of times we see acre shifts and then dynamics change, you know. Absolutely. They're, they're not. Absolutely. They're not, a constant. So, um, yeah, having said it's a that
0: switch. Yeah.
1: And, and, and having said that too, you know, you, 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 know, you alluded to the ethanol, um, and some of the plant closings and some of that kind of stuff. And with basis widening out, um, that's, that's something that we've all seen, we're all dealing with that, you know, you and I were talking offline with all the stuff going on in the conversation with coronavirus. You're hardly hearing anything about the USDA report, that we're going to be, you know, looking at here, um, not this week, but the following week, is there any comments on that, things we should be thinking about or how that relates maybe the basis on what we might hear from that or any, any, any thoughts, I guess, on new crop or whatever that we need to be thinking about as, as we get towards that. Cause like I said, everybody's talking coronavirus right now and nobody's thinking about what that would be big news if this other stuff wasn't going on.
0: Well, typically, this time of year, we would all be keyed in on that acreage report and stocks report. As far as the acreage report, I think we've kind of covered that to a lot degree, and I think the marketplace has kind of had one eye on that uh, for some time, especially the corn aspect of it. I'm not sure the marketplace has really uh, grasped or embraced just how low of a bean number we could possibly get out of that acreage report. They've been more focused on a big uh, corn number, but the stocks report, um, you know, right now people have completely forgot there. There's a stocks report coming out on the 31st, but you go back in time two, three, four, five months, then that that first quarterly stocks report was seen as as uh, or not the first one, but the March one was seen as a, uh, a a strong indication of how the consumption was and possibly a statement about whether the 2019 crop may have been overstated, which in real time, most people thought it was. And I think to some extent, even after harvest, they still thought it was. Um, and But I've heard from ethanol uh, plants. I've heard from uh, livestock feeders and processors. All of them have told me that uh, the, the uh, uh, value of a pound of corn from 19's crop is not producing this, the results at the end as much as, say, an 18 crop. So we're taking more of those bushels to, to get the same result. And if that is true, if that's a legitimate trend that is, is serviced, we might find that in that quarterly stocks report. And thus, we could find usage higher than expected, carry out lower than expected. You know, that's an important dynamic that, that might still be ahead of us. Um, so I, I think that while that's kind of gotten forgotten, it is something that uh, is worth keeping an eye on but you know even though we think it might be worth keeping an eye on the marketplace is still largely engulfed in in uh, fear and uncertainty
1: what do you, i, I want to ask a question that as you were discussing that, that just come to mind you know we're sitting here what do you what do you tell a producer that's setting on a fair amount of old crop corn right now Um, because, you know, we were talking about basis and also heard some analysts saying, well, there was a fair amount of fear sales going on possibly too. And I've talked to a couple of processors that told me they, they were buying some corn. So somebody was selling some stuff. Um, what do you tell, um, people that are sitting on a fair amount of old crop corn right now, you know, um, with all the fear that's going on, um, to be calm and, and, and what's the plan?
0: Well, um, in my daily comments this past week, uh, uh, and I might even had it in there on my Sunday comments, I don't recall, last week, but um, I talked about possibly removing some of your risk in the corn and replacing it with risk in in a soybean position. And some will say, well, maybe that's speculative. Well, doing nothing and holding your position, corn position, is also speculative. It's just a matter of where do you want the risk. And I looked at it from the standpoint The historical price relationship of beans versus corn um, and the the beginning that onslaught of that ethanol storyline made me, you know, be willing to shift that risk away from beans or corn and into beans. So there's something like that. That's not for everybody and that's probably for a small number of people. Uh, I also talked to growers about possibly buying um, puts that expire, you know, very quickly just to try to get, you know, some near-term protection. That may have had merit for some. Um, Others I talked to on Friday about taking advantage of the strength to uh, hedge up for put those positions for a short period of time, whether that was futures or options. And the 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 last thing choice that you have, if you don't want to do any of those, which a lot of people would fall in the category that none of that what I just said was appealing, some will just uh, choose to to hold. And if if they do that, my my I would urge them to say that if you're committed to holding, you have to be committed to holding them holding your inventory for sixty or ninety days. You can't be committed to holding them for two or three weeks and then see what it looks like then because you run the risk of you know selling at the bottom. Um, but if if you're going to hold it and take the mindset, I'm going to hold this till we come out of the coronavirus thing. I think that's a legitimate course of action. Um, I don't think that's that's a that's a bad course of action selling at uh, these prices may prove to be the, the mistake. You know, I, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's not unreasonable. I would just encourage somebody that's ta- on a pathway where they are going to hold that inventory, they just kind of have to tune things out for the next week or two and uh, try to f- keep their focus on, on uh, the optimism that once we get through this things things will be better and you try to avoid the panic sales. Um, so I guess that would be my recommendation is I, well, I don't think that selling here in the next week or two um, is going to be a good approach when you get 60 or 90 days out and you look back and, and evaluate, was that a good sale that I made at the, on the last day of March? I'm, I'm guessing the answer will be no.
1: Yeah. And in the meantime, keeping a close eye on the quality of the physical stuff, too, because we've heard a lot of people talking about condition even when it looked good, smelled good, um, starting to become in question too. So if, if somebody has to move stuff along those lines and, you know, do you do, do you do a basis contract or, you know, what's your thought there?
0: If you're, um, obviously the condition of the grain would be the, the, the worst thing that could happen to you. So if you have corn that, Maybe was put away at 18 or 20 percent, which there certainly was some of that. Keeping that grain, that temperature, uh, moisture of grain over the winter is one thing. As temperature warms up, that's a completely different scenario. If you're caught in that position, then you don't have a lot of choice. You are going to have to move that product, and then you know you could sell it and be done with it, it, which I think would be a mistake. You could do a basis contract, which might be okay, and uh, otherwise you could find somebody that's got uh, free DP or something something of this nature, but uh, um, my inclination would be to, uh, if you're in that position where you're forced to make that sale, I guess I'd make that sale now, and uh, I would look for an opportunity to uh, re-own that on paper, whether that was with options or futures, and uh, or I would, would look at doing the basis contract which
1: in essence is the same thing. Gotcha. Sounds good. Well, I'm just trying to look at my list. You, did, you do a good job of answering my questions before I get to them. So we've discussed the the U.S. dollar and the crude oil thing and uh, China basis, uh, coronavirus and a few other things. Anything that we haven't touched on that you know that you think we need to be paying attention to, other than the fact that I want to say that, you know, with all the fear that's in the environment right now, want to put a plug in for a podcast that I'm going to be doing um, with the pastor uh, from our church on uh, Tuesday on just managing uh, um, fear through faith. And, you know, it's faith faith versus fear. And I think that's a a key thing. We got to, you know, pay attention to what's going on obviously but not let the fear drive our decisions and and all the crazy noise and everything that's going on in the environment right now um as you said Dwayne, on on the corn side of things not letting the noise um cause bad decision making either so any final comments though that you have or anything that you know that we want to leave the listeners with going into this new week
0: at the bottom and core of my soul, I believe that the uh, we are not made to live a life of fear based on fear. Fear of and respect is one thing. Being consumed by fear is, is something greatly different. I think uh, I know the pastor that you're going to interview on Tuesday, and uh, um, I'll guarantee the audience that that will be a podcast worth listening to. And so I think you've touched on something that is, is, a, is a great way to, to finish here. And so out of the, the last thing that I would say would be to st- highlight that, and that probably takes precedence over anything. The other things I would say is try to avoid making uh, marketing decisions right now in this window. This is probably not a good time to do it. I happen to think short term we are vulnerable to some additional weakness going into month end. Uh, possibly below last week's lows. Um, I think the big picture, keep an eye on that dollar because if that dollar weakens, and I I think it's a high probability it does, that sets the stage for something much better for agriculture coming out of this than what you're dealing with right now. And try to keep your focus on what's ahead when we come out. Try not to focus on on this crater activity here, which Um, We hope it's temporary, and I kind of think we have to hope that it's temporary. And uh, um, so I'd watch the dollar index, have a positive attitude, try to focus on a time frame that is past this, not in the the trenches that we're in right now. And uh, um, tune in for Tuesday's uh, podcast because I think it'll be an exceptional one. Sounds
1: good, Dwayne. I appreciate the conversation today. I think we had covered some good stuff. And if anybody out there has uh, any other questions or things that we need to be discussing, please let us know. But thanks for the conversation, Dwayne. All right. Thanks, Chris. You bet. And thanks, everybody, for listening again to the Ag view pitch. And we will catch you next time. for joining us on today's episode of the Egg View Pitch. As always, you can reach out to us at cbaron at eggviewsolutions.com
0: or dwayne L at netins.net. We'll catch you next time on the Egg View Pitch.